Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. Welcome to a very special episode of Mike's Search for Meaning, my friends. This episode is a solo episode, so there is no need for me to go through a bio portion of the episode. I will keep the preamble super short, but the highlights of this episode, I talk about my 2022 reflections. I talk about my morning routine, my journaling practice, when I experience pain, how do I synthesize the pain? What does my healing process look like? And I have all sorts of adjacent thoughts and reflections that come up. So let's just dive right into it. Settle in, take a deep breath. And enjoy this special edition of Mike's Search for Meaning and see what yours truly has for us today. Hey friends, welcome to a very special episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. By popular demand, I've decided to do a solo episode. I've had a few people reach out to me and say, we love your interviews. We think you do an amazing job of getting other people to open up for you. And we would love to hear more from you, even though I, I do try to share as much about myself as possible in my interviews. I know that as an interviewer, it can actually be easy to get lost in the world of the guest. And while trying to build an audience for my show, uh, <laughs> I think that the, the number one product of the show is me. And so I want to open up a little bit more about who I am, what my story is, maybe in ways that you've heard before, maybe in ways that you haven't, but a little apprehensive about it, which means that I'm in the right place. I'm, I'm challenging my comfort zone. So the way that I plan on breaking down this episode is that I'm going to share some 2022 reflections. It's by the time this will air, it's going to be in 2023. So I've I've been doing a lot of reflecting on the year that has been and the year that is to come. It's also going to be a little bit like an Ask Me Anything episode. I reached out to a select few people who I no will ask really good questions and they have asked me some really thought-provoking questions that I will respond to and, and I think that will help facilitate the conversation. One of the questions that I got, and I believe that I've answered this, but I'm happy to answer it again. I start every interview by asking my guest what it was like at their dinner table when they were growing up. And uh, one of my friends said, I would love to hear your answer. What was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? I'm just sitting with it. I, I just took a deep breath to, to feel into what it was like at my dinner table when I was growing up. I have multiple answers. When I was very little, I mostly remember Tyson chicken fingers and quicker dinner varieties as what I was eating because my parents were both very busy professionals. They both worked in New York City and I grew up in a suburb of New York City. I, I lived about an hour or so from Manhattan. Uh, 
without traffic, of course. And dinner was served to me by my babysitter because my parents weren't getting home until at least seven o'clock. At least that's what my memory of it is. They were getting home around then. So that's one of the answers was, you know, my parents were both really busy professionals and I wasn't eating dinner with them. It was me, my babysitter and my younger sister. What I remember more in my less formative years and more when I was coming of adolescent age and, and starting to become my own human being, my after 9-11, my mom stopped working in New York City and decided to become a real estate agent. So she has been doing that now for about 20 years. It wasn't right after 9-11 that she decided to become a real estate agent. She took some time off and was a stay-at-home mom. And that was, I, I think, very fondly back to that period of time in my life because I was in middle school. I felt very awkward. I was a very shy and reserved kid. And uh, in, in middle school, I started to meet a lot of new people. Out, out of elementary school, I, I had developed a, a nice friend group and I was kind of in my comfort zone there. And in middle school, it went from maybe, I want to say it went from a couple hundred people maybe in my elementary school to a couple thousand people in my middle school. There were a lot of people there. And uh, having my mom more present, driving me to school every day and more present in my day-to-day -day life was a, a huge thing for my development. So I'm really grateful for that. As far as the dinner table goes, I... My dad was still working in the city for the most part, but for some reason, I have lots of memories of what it was like for us to all be congregated together. And my parents have both been in therapy for my entire life, so 30 plus years. And uh, if, if you want to hear them unpack a little bit more of that journey, the second episode that I did of this podcast, I dive deep with my parents. But one of the byproducts of that is that they are very self-aware, they love to be introspective, and they love to analyze the way that other people are operating. And they, they love to talk about world affairs and what's happening in the world. And so many of my dinner table memories are of talking about what's happening in our life and creating space for that. But also it very much could get heated and we would talk about what's going on in the world and politically what's going on. And Sometimes those conversations were very animated, very charged. I think the role that I played in the family was kind of the peacekeeper. I was, I'm certainly the quietest. That's still probably very true in my immediate family of my sister and my parents. And so one of my strategies to navigate this was for me to kind of be the even keeled, uh, go with the flow guy who wasn't going to rough, ruffle any feathers. And yeah, that, that gives a little bit more context of what it was like at my dinner table growing up. I am best friends with every single person in my family, my mom, my dad, and my sister. And it's a very loving, nurturing household. And I'm incredibly grateful for the family that I was born into. I just find it really hard to imagine what type of person I would be today if I didn't come from a nurturing family. As far as 2022 reflections, so as of the day of this recording, it's actually December 1st in 22. I've been doing the podcast for about a year 
I've recorded over 50 episodes and I've been part-time at my accounting job for a year. And so it's been a, a time of deep reflection for me. I've been reflecting on many things. One of them is when I first decided that coaching was going to be a profession that I wanted to pursue and it was something I was passionate about, I really had no idea what I was signing myself up for. And one of the things that happened when I decided to pursue coaching was that I, I really placed my eggs in all of my eggs in that basket. I said, if I am not doing this for a full-time living, I am not going to be fulfilled and satisfied in my life. And 2022 has somewhat been the year of, Mike, be where you are and love where you are, regardless of what the externals are, regardless of how many clients you have, regardless of how well the podcast is doing. There's always ways that... At the core of you, whatever your deepest heart, heart's desires are, there's always ways that you can probably meet those needs given the current circumstances in your life. And 2022 has been the year of, of doing that. One of the best benefits that I've had in working with my coach, Yotam Schachter, who is also a former guest on the podcast, and I think he did episode seven and eight with me. One of the best benefits that I've had in working with him is that he has helped me get to the root cause of what are the needs and desires and wants that would be fulfilled by me coaching my clients and where are they available in your life as it currently stands. So if intimacy and close connection and belonging are really important to you, Mike, you work at an accounting firm where there's lots of other people and you have made up this binary scenario in your head where you're either doing meaningful work or you're not. There's other humans that you can connect with and cultivate a sense of belonging at your accounting firm. There's people everywhere. You don't have to project this only onto your coaching business and onto your podcast. And I still have a long way to go, but I'm really grateful to say that I think regardless of where I'm at in my life, I'm, I'm very much in touch with what matters to me and how I can bring what matters to me into my life as it currently stands and not project it and punt it down the line to some further date where, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be really happy when I have a thriving business and when I'm leading retreats and when I have this much money and wh whatever, there's a million different external outcomes that... I at one point made up were the things that were holding me back. And now I, I feel like every day I am open to the possibility that there's magic to be had in every single moment. And I'm really grateful to the work that I've done to make that all possible. I would also say 2022 has been a year where I've, it's really brought me to my knees in a lot of ways. I, there's a deep humility about just how much can happen that's out of my control. And while I try to control so many things, I, I really watch what I eat. I have really good boundaries in my life and manage my energy well. I go to sleep at a pretty regimented time. There's just so much that's out of my control. And some of the things that have brought me to my knees are the war in Ukraine, continuing circumstances around COVID, there's continued political unrest at any given time. And I've started to take a, a much closer look at 
my privilege as a white male. And yeah, I take a lot of responsibility for, for what it means to be born on third base, which in a lot of ways I have been and was born on third base. And at times I get really deeply overwhelmed by that. And what consistently brings me back to my center, there's many things, but one of the things that brings me back to my center is Mike, even though you're an introvert, can't do this alone, man. You have to rely on community. You have to rely on other people. And the times that I'm overwhelmed, it's because I'm trying to tackle race, inequality, financial inequality, poverty, all the systems. There's so many things that are flawed in our systems, but there's also so many things that are wonderful about our systems. And none of it can be done on my own. And and so I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that if 2021 was maybe the year of me connecting more to myself and being more in solitude and really celebrating my introversion and that I don't need to be around other people to be deeply fulfilled, 2022 has helped me realize that despite all that, I really am so connected to so many people and that is really important. Uh, I, I want to be part of communities. I, I want to be reliant on other people. We're all so interconnected. If COVID taught us anything at all, it's that everyone in this world is connected. And so it continues to be something that I grapple with is, is what is my place in this world and, and how can I make my unique contribution and my unique difference, but also how can I be part of the fabric of a greater society and be part of the world that I deeply want to live in? I don't know if that really answers uh, or if that is really honing in on all of my 2022 reflections, but I have lots of other questions that I would love to get to, and they're really thoughtful, and, and they might even link into some 2022 reflections anyway. So one of the questions that I got, and and one of the things that comes up all the time in my coaching practice or when I'm on other calls with people is imposter syndrome. And, and the specific thing that my friend wrote to me is, I have this nagging feeling that I'm going to be found out. Is this normal? Does everyone have imposter syndrome? I certainly have imposter syndrome. So I think I believe that everyone has imposter syndrome to a certain extent. I don't have an amazing answer for it, but it is absolutely normal. We, we all in a lot of ways, we are imposters. We're we're walking around pretending that we've got our shit together and that we have our life together. And I'm always in awe of when I slow down with even people who you think are the most fulfilled, the most satisfied, the most accomplished, the most everything in their life. If I slow down enough and be with any person at all, there's something that they're being challenged with in their life that they don't have a, an answer for. I, I've spoken to lots. Of, I, I'm not going to name names because they were not public conversations, but I've spoken to people that I've made up in my mind are, they have their shit completely together and they have life quote unquote figured out. And I laugh because I know that no one has life figured out, but I think that we all do this. We, we think that there's, there's someone that we look up to in our life that we go, man, if I was just like that person, my life would be so much better. And we're all messy and we're all kind of just figuring it out as we go. And 
as we ascend to new levels in our life, there's there's a new set of challenges that we end up facing. Someone that I met in a coaching course that I did, it was one of the first coaching courses I did, and it was an intimate group. It was a group called Find Your Tribe that focused on men's work and, and helping men open up to each other. One of the gentlemen that I've stayed in touch with, I speak to him pretty much once a month. And he is someone that I look up to in a lot of ways because he's a little bit older than me and he's very accomplished in his career. He has all the money that you could ever ask for. He's not really working at this point because he needs the money. He's working because he's just a driven and yeah, because he's just a, a driven person. And one of the things that he echoes to me all the time is that there's no amount of money that you can have that will fill you up, which is something that I know. But also, there's a new set of challenges that happens in your life when you have that much money. You have There's all sorts of things that you don't realize. And if, it, if it's a big house, there's all the maintenance costs around it. And with money, it might be that there's a bigger target on your back. There's There's people who would be reaching out to you that might not otherwise people come out of the woodworks and try and ask favors of you. And there's also a, a really big responsibility, right? Like I was naming earlier in, in this episode that I want to make all these contributions to the world. And I want to live in a world that's more equitable and more just and where everyone has equal opportunity to thrive and to, to live a deeply fulfilling life with more money. There comes the responsibility of, well, how do I make the bigger difference? And something that I have actually been hiding from in my own life is, I don't know if I'm ready for that responsibility. I mean, I have a deeply abundant life. And I, I like I said, I was born on third base, and I have all these beautiful things. And I make plenty of money. But there's a new level of wealth when you get into the seven plus figures and all the people that we put on that pedestal who we think, man, if I just had that type of freedom, that type of flexibility, that type of financial security, I would have it made. One of the many reasons that I keep in touch with this man who will remain, remain anonymous is it's a good perspective for me to take that he doesn't have it any better necessarily than I do. He's got a different set of challenges than I have given where I'm at in my life. So it's, it's kind of a circular way to get back to imposter syndrome is that whatever, wherever we think we are the most unfinished or, you know, someone else has this part figured out, they have their own set of unique challenges as well. And we are all imposters in, in so many ways. So I really appreciate that question. It's something that I definitely hide from in myself still. I try, this will be something that we get to later in this conversation too, is I... I've been realizing that I put so much pressure on myself to be so polished, even though I pride myself on being vulnerable and open. I really expend a lot of energy trying not to make mistakes, whether it's in a podcast episode or in a, a coaching call. I still have this do it the right way energy in my life that I am I'm working on getting to the root of and working on being really owning my messiness and owning that I need support in my life and that none of us are these polished and finished people. We're all on some sort of journey. 
Okay, here's a tactical question. What is your morning routine? I, I appreciate this one because I think a lot of my, the direction that my business has taken and that my life has taken has been more of a spiritual and a deeper, less tactical type of approach. But I do think the tactical things are really helpful. What is your morning routine? I typically wake up at 6 a.m., I try and block off the first two to three hours of my day to do the following. I usually do about 20 minutes of Wim Hof breathing. I'll link to this in the show notes, one of, one of the videos. There's plenty of good YouTube videos, and I think that Wim Hof also has an app that you can use. But essentially what it is, is at a beginner level, you can progress, but at the beginner level, you do three rounds of... 30 pretty quick breaths. So it's inhale through the nose, exhale pretty hard through the mouth like this. And you do 30 of those. And at the end of 30, you hold your breath for about a minute. At the end of, or rather, you don't hold your breath, but at the end of the 30th exhale, you uh, then hold your breath. And then after a minute, you inhale, hold that for 15 seconds, exhale. You do that for three rounds. When I wake up, my monkey mind is racing. I have all sorts of thoughts, all sorts of worries. At the end of Wim Hof breathing, I it's almost an out-of-body experience sometimes with just how grounded and centered I feel. And I was a little bit shaky at different points with how often to do Wim Hof breathing because it's pretty intense and it's not for everyone. So I, I want to just name that before prescribing it that I think everyone should do it. It's great for me. I think that a lot of people could benefit from it, but you should see if it's the right thing for you. Putting that aside, it always helps me feel completely at my center. So the first thing in my morning is Wim Hof breathing. I then typically meditate for about 10 to 20 minutes. There's all sorts of different meditations that I do. It might be connecting to my heart's desire. It might be just following my breath. It might be an abundance and visualization meditation. It might be a loving compassion or metta meditation. All of these can be found on Insight Timer. There's lots of good apps, but I use Insight Timer because they have all of the best thought leaders and experts on meditation. All of their meditations are typically on Insight Timer. And there's also people that I've interviewed on this podcast who are lesser known, but also have amazing meditations. And it's a great platform to support both the well-known and the, the lesser known practitioners in this space. After that, those are kind of my centering and grounding rituals. I try and walk for anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour. This one's a little broader, but I try and walk for that duration of time outside and get sunlight early in the morning, even when it's cloudy or even when it's rainy. It's really important for my circadian rhythm and for my energy to get outside and to get sunlight, ideally on my skin and in my eyes for at least 10 minutes in the morning. It's People like Andrew Huberman have really popularized this notion, but your sleep cycle really starts the second that you wake up in the morning, meaning you are preparing for sleep at all points of your life, essentially. When you wake up in the morning, 
your next night of sleep is dependent on your entire day of activities. And one of the best things you could do for sleep is get that sunlight early in the morning because it, it signals to your body the day is about to start. So I'm really pretty militant about that. I, I try and get outside even, like I said, when it's cold or rainy or cloudy, it's still really important to get outside and ideally paying attention to nature. I'm not listening to a podcast or distracted my mind, of course, drifts a million times. And in a way, this is a continuation of my meditation practice. But I will walk around, I'll try and notice if it's fall, I'll notice the leaves. If it's summer, I'll just kind of bask in the glory of that warm, crisp air. Those are opposites, but I think you get what I mean. And after my walk, I will typically do to complete my morning routine. Actually, there's a few more things in my morning routine. When I come back, I typically do foundation training. I will link to this in the show notes as well. For my back pain, which has been present for the better part of the last five years, I have scoured the internet for the best videos to do for back pain. And foundation training has, this, this is not an understatement, it has drastically changed my life. So there are a couple of YouTube videos that are free content that really help with back pain. And what they do is they light up my posterior chain, which is kind of stagnant if I'm sitting at my desk for too long. The posterior chain and personal trainers out there, please correct me if I'm wrong on this. This is part of me being imperfect and just trying to show up and, and share what feels right to me, but I could be wrong. But the posterior chain is your, your back body, hamstrings, glutes, low back, and then it goes all the way up to like my my traps and my lats, everything that's behind me. If I am sitting for too long, those kind of go to sleep and we need the back muscles to work just as much as the front muscles. So what foundation training does is it wakes the fuck out. It wakes the the fuck out of, to, to use the scientific term, of those back muscles. And it, it really has helped me align my posture and... I, I start every single day with some version of foundation training. They, they also have a streaming platform that I pay money for. And I work with a one-on-one a -on -one practitioner who helps me for an hour a week. Yeah, basically do these postures more correctly so that my back can finally be out of pain. It's still, it, my, my body's very sensitive. And that is true with the food that I eat, if I eat something unhealthy, I can feel it right away that it sparks a little bit of anxiety and a little sluggishness, sluggishness in me. And if my posture is not great, even for a short amount of time, I notice that my back pain starts to flare up. So this has been a continued practice. I'm not fully healed. And uh, with regards to back pain or inner work, I, I'm starting to realize that it's practices that I'm going to need to do the rest of my life. There aren't destinations that I arrive at. The last thing that I do typically in my morning routine is journaling. And admittedly, it's one of the first things to go. So if I have to truncate the routine, and it's a little shortened, or if I give myself the grace of sleeping in a little later than six o'clock, which happens a little more frequently these days than it used to, it's one of the first things to go. But in my journaling practice, ideally, I give myself about 30 minutes. And it's very free flowing, but what it typically looks like for me is acknowledging my wins from the day before, 
acknowledging where I might have felt stuck and then maybe coaching myself on where I felt stuck from the day before. And I have tried to make my journaling practice very somatic these days, meaning if I'm writing and I feel a little bit of a constriction in my chest, then I will then journal like, hmm, I know I'm noticing constriction in my chest. I wonder what this is about. And maybe it's a part of me that I haven't been paying attention to. And then it becomes this uh, journaling practice around the different parts of myself and some of the parts of myself that I don't pay enough attention to that I would like to pay more attention to and that are constantly calling for me to pay more attention to my inner adventurer. So the, the part of me that wants to go outside and explore the world and I think my inner adventure is is pretty deeply connected with maybe the more playful parts of myself. So I want to get outside and maybe even find a swing set and go on that swing set or just laugh more. That's something that feels I, I it's amazing how much I have to remind myself to laugh more because I, I take myself and life very seriously. And <laughs> paradoxically, I think one of the things that helps me to handle the adversity of life is to be able to laugh and to bring some levity to it. What are some other things that I journal about? It's not as forward thinking as you might think. I, I, I'm not really, I, I do sometimes set intentions for the day, maybe some re reiteration of the values that I want to show up with, which are compassion, courage, belonging is a big one for me. Patience has been another huge one. And uh, so sometimes there's setting that intention. Sometimes there's a little bit of affirmations. One affirmation that I write a lot that I took from Gay Hendricks is, I expand in abundance, love, and success every day as I inspire others to do the same. And I allow myself to feel that in my body, what it feels like to live an abundant, successful, and loving life. And many times this is really just an extension of everything that I've already done in my morning routine, because ideally my meditation, the Wim Hof breathing and my walk have helped me connect to my essence in some way. And so the journaling is really just fleshing out all of the things that already happened in my morning. And then from there, I have my nice cup of joe, I have my coffee, and then I, I usually launch into the workday at about 9.30 or so. So thank you for that question. I, I love talking about the morning routine. Another one that I I love this question, and it's another one that brings me to my knees. Someone asked me, do you still get nervous public speaking? And this is someone that I actually did public speaking classes with in the past, and they they paid me a, a very nice compliment that you, you sound so relaxed when you're doing these interviews and when you post videos, you seem so relaxed. And <laughs> oh, I, I think it's funny because yes, I, I of course, I still get very nervous. I, I don't know if that will ever go away. When it comes to the videos that I post on LinkedIn, many times the finished product that you're seeing is after I have recorded and failed and whiffed at maybe six or seven videos. That, that, that's not always the case, but many times I have started to record, I fumble my words, and then I stop the recording and delete it and then do it over again. And to that same vein, 
when I'm recording an intro for my podcast, many times I have to pause and there's silence for like 30 seconds because I lost my train of thought. And with the intros, I get incredibly nervous. I, it's a skill to be able to read out loud someone's bio and to be able to set a container for the conversation. And it's a skill that I'm very much learning and, and building these days. And during the interview itself, yeah, usually for the first 20 to 30 minutes, especially, I am very nervous. And one of the reasons I like to ask what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up is it takes the pressure off me to say anything in the beginning and I'm handing it over to my guest to speak for a while. And it, it really helps me settle my nervous system and calm down and arrive with them. Whereas if I were forced to just speak at length in the beginning, that still feels like it's very much on the edge of my comfort zone. Now, even with all of this said, there, there have been some interviews that I've had where I was nervous the entire time. I had one of the recent interviews I had with uh, Sam Lamott, who is someone I look up to and is maybe one of the more well-known guests that I've had on the show. The entire time, I felt like I was trying to prove it to him that I belonged in the same conversation with him. And I'd be curious to hear from him if, if that showed in some way, but it never felt like I fully arrived with him in that conversation because I, yeah, I was just so nervous. I really was trying to prove it to him the whole time that, you know, I can hold a, a good space for you and I look up to you, but I... I'm trying to show you that I belong here. And yeah, after that interview ended, I actually felt a lot of shame because this this is where the effort to be so polished and like I have my shit together, the cracks really started to shine through there because I I very much was not polished in that conversation and, and didn't have my shit together. And so I, I remember getting off that call. I went downstairs the, the call where I interviewed Sam on the podcast, I, I got off, I went downstairs and I, I told Ari, my wife, I, and she knew I was so excited to have this conversation. I was really, you know, like it was a shot in the dark and he said yes. And all these beautiful things, but I went downstairs and I was like, oh, I think I blew that one. You know, I really think I whiffed on it. And uh, I, I don't remember if I embraced her, but I just remember my energy was very much, it was like tender and raw. And it was, I, I think I need a hug right now. And the interview took place in October. So it was still kind of nice outside. I remember I went for a long walk and I just sat looking at the water and I, I tried to tend to that inner child, the wounded child in me who felt like, he was not enough because he was awkward and that he wasn't polished. And it was actually a really beautiful and sweet moment. And it was, of course, exactly what I needed. And there was some healing that had to be done in that moment. But it still felt fucking gnarly when it happened. And the inner work, it's something that I've gotten used to and I, I really advocate for it. And it, it has changed my life and will change my life continually for the rest of my life. But uh, in that moment, it, I felt like a piece of shit and I felt a lot of shame. And it's really raw and, and tender to be speaking about it in this moment as well. 
So yes, the answer is, of course, I still get nervous doing interviews. Something else that feels alive for me to share in this moment in, in the vein of, of being open and candid. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it sounds like maybe I come across as this guy who's like really calm and centered all the time. But I did an interview in June on, I was a guest on a podcast. It was called, or it is called Cause Pods. And I don't know what happened. I, that was another interview that I felt a lot of shame afterwards. And I was like, that didn't go well. I, I have no idea what he is thinking about it. And I don't know if he's just really slow to publish or if he decided that interview wasn't worth publishing, but it's been six months. He's been continuing to publish stuff and that episode was never released. So I did an interview that, yeah, I mean, I'm making up the story that he said, this wasn't worth me releasing, so I'm not going to share it with the world. And that's another thing that brought up that tender, wounded, vulnerable child in me. I have developed a lot of strategies in my life to try and hide the fact that underneath it all, very awkward, I'm shy, I, I don't have my shit together. And uh, when when things like that happen, it surfaces the the parts of myself that I've been trying to hide. And it's very healing for me to to talk about this and to have that process in place where I finally start to teach myself, man, Mike, like your worst fear is coming true, right? You you fumbled enough that someone didn't share that podcast that you recorded and you're still here. You're still making work that you're really proud of and it's not going to kill you. You're not going to die like like you think you are. So those moments for me, while very tough, they're they're actually in this moment, I'm I'm feeling really grateful for them that they've they've taught me something about what it means to fall on my face and to not have successes and for life to not move smoothly. And I still put lots of things in place to try and make sure that my life moves smoothly. It's I think that there is a there's a notion in the personal development space that we need to fail more. And I, I think that we we probably advocate for that a little too much. I think it's actually really nice to have things in place that help you not fail, right? We don't want to purposely fail just for the sake of failing. But it also really has helped me develop the mindset of if you do the worst fear that you have, Mike, if it happens, it's really not as big a deal as you've made it out to be in your head. And you're going to learn from it and grow from it. And eventually you'll be grateful for it. But that's not to say that it's not really painful in the moment. Another, I guess, reflection that I have for 2022 is that when that does happen, instead of trying to hit the gas harder and say, all right, I'm never fucking letting that happen again. One of the practices and skills that I've developed is to just be with myself in that moment instead of trying to brush past it. And I, I really want to invite you to see where that shows up in your life. What are maybe some of the things, what are some of your triggers? What are the things that you avoid? And can you be with the experience of the pain next time that you're in pain instead of trying to run away from it? Resma Menachem calls it clean pain versus dirty pain. And, and clean pain is what I've been describing. Clean pain is where something happens Maybe you fail and it triggers, for me, it's like that awkward young boy in me. And the, the clean pain is like that awkward boy has some, 
he's uh, he's getting attention that he maybe doesn't want. And can I can I be with that experience instead of trying to run away from it? Dirty pain is to try and march on and and never face that awkward inner child in me and maybe put all sorts of uh, walls up and and make sure that I work even harder to not let anyone see that awkward little boy in me. The dirty pain that would come out of that is maybe you start to bully other people. You start to have detrimental and damaging uh, behaviors that that might hurt yourself and will certainly hurt other people. So I want to invite you to wherever it is that you are feeling clean pain in your life, instead of trying to brush past it, can you be with it? Next question. What's on your heart that feels too important not to share? If you can't tell, this was asked by a coach friend and colleague of mine. This wasn't just an ordinary question. (sighs) Let me tune into this. Well, I'm really grateful for how this episode has gone so far. And I I think in a lot of ways, I've already been sharing what's on my heart that feels too important not to share. But something that's bubbling up for me right now is just how important connection to the body is. It's something that's really easy to brush past. And in the Western world, we're very much educated in our mind and we progress intellectually, typically, right? There's lots of learning around sciences, mathematics, English literature. There's all sorts of intellectual ways that we stretch and grow. But I have found it very fleeting to connect with my body at, until recently where that's become something that I really am paying a lot more attention to. And when we are more embodied and connected to our own inner experience of things, we have more access to what actually matters to us. So let me maybe give something a, a little more concrete. When I am dialed in on my sleep, my movement, my nutrition, And then also where I might be triggered and activated. So really good examples of this are if there's conflict in my life, that's something that I typically have run away from in the past because of a bodily sensation that I might feel. If someone brings a challenger energy to me or corrects me and gives me feedback that something I said or did was incorrect, my conditioned probably response would be in the past to try and fix it really quickly and not feel that tightness in my chest. And there's kind of this like signal that comes up from my gut. And the somatic practice I've developed is to just breathe with that and notice it as it arises instead of trying to brush past it. And this goes back to the clean pain versus dirty pain. The dirty pain thing to do in in a moment like this would be to really double down and make sure that I never make a mistake again. And then to also have harsh judgments of other people that are making mistakes. I see it way too much in this world. It's very common that we, the the thing that we fear most in ourselves, we, we project it and externalize it onto other people and then criticize them for it. And the somatic practice of being able to notice that constriction or any constriction, and conversely also just to notice where you feel ease and, and flow in your life it makes life so much easier for me. So I I notice when I'm efforting too hard, instead of trying to do the next thing, the best thing for me is almost always to take five minutes. Maybe it's go for a walk, maybe it's stretch, 
Maybe it's just to breathe consciously for a little bit. And maybe it's all of the above. That helps me feel much more aligned and more resourced and resilient to handle the rest of my life and my day. Another thing that feels really important for me to share right now is, hmm, this feels really trite to say, but life is just a series of present moment after present moment and small moments. And the things, the moments where I get most tripped up are when I am thinking, well, I already named one of the moments is when I try and take on too much on my own and don't rely on other people enough in my life and, and lean on community and trust that I have the support that I need in my life. But there's also a way that I allow my big visions for which they are, they're very big visions in a lot of ways. I let them become things that I'm so focused on them that I, I forget that there's, there's beauty to be had right now in this moment. And that regardless of how big the vision is, there's always a series of tiny moments that are going to contribute to that. So something that I have to remind myself of many, many times is, well, I have a couple of quotes that I love. One is the journey of a thousand miles always begins with a single step. It's trite, like I said, but one step, it, it is always just one step at a time. There's the question of what is the tiniest action that I can take in this moment? It bring it really centers me and brings it back down to what's actually in my control and doesn't make it about what the giant vision is because the giant vision is truly always comprised of a bunch of tiny things that eventually contribute to that. And I think that's actually, th those are the two things that I come back to. I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of other practices, but it does also point back to the body where I, I certainly feel that if all of that's happening, then I, I feel way more resourced if I can go inward and, and just tune into what's happening in my body until I feel centered. Some imagery that I find helpful is the way that a river flows. Nature, is, all the metaphors I would ever use are, are nature really, but the two that feel most present to me are with trees and with the river. So with the river, river is always just flowing. It's never in a rush. It's never going too quickly or too slowly. It just moves naturally through its its life and through its course. And uh, I like to think of my development as a river that's flowing. And there's all sorts of impediments in a river. It might be twigs or different blockages that happen. And if, so, if we just contend to those blockages and remove the twig, then I'm free to be that river that's moving through life. And with a tree, the image of being really grounded and having deep roots in the ground, but also being expansive and always evolving and, and growing upwards. It's evocative of this, the polarity of being really grounded and also moving towards the sky and, and having this big vision. And uh, nature, much like us, is always evolving and it's always growing. And it's also kind of cyclical in a lot of ways. I've been noticing that a lot of things from my childhood and from my teens have been coming back to me in big ways. And the swing set, which I named earlier, is one of them where I feel this desire to play like I did when I was younger, but also 
things like I put sports down for a while. I was always a huge sports fan, a huge Knicks and Jets fan, huge basketball and football fan. And as I started to do more inner work, sports felt less important to me. And in some ways that is still true. I don't pay as much attention to them as I used to, but I've been feeling more of a deep connection. It's a part of who I am. I love sports. And for whatever reason, I had this kind of spiritual, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you want to call it. This weird spiritual belief that, you know, sports are these like, it's like tribal bullshit. And I don't know why I, I'm paying attention to it. Instead of just connecting to, you know, Mike, you love these things. So why make it a good or bad thing? It just is. Anyway, what, what I'm saying is the way in a lot of ways we evolve when we evolve, rather, we, we come back to and certainly I come back to younger parts of myself. And it, the evolution is both is growing and moving forward, but it's also reconnecting with what has been in the past. The final question that I was asked, how do you train yourself to be such a good listener? Well, first of all, thank you so much for that incredible compliment. I, I do pride myself on being a really good listener. I think the first thing maybe is to say that it's probably a pretty natural part of my temperament. I am a quieter, more reserved person. And so I, I've, I, I guess I was just born that way to a certain extent that I like to observe people. I don't necessarily want to be the center of attention. And it, it makes it easier for me to turn it over to the other person to talk. And I, I find people endlessly fascinating. That's, I guess, what makes this a good podcast is that I am, I'm good at listening to people and I'm good at getting other people to talk about themselves because I find them and what they do really fascinating. But maybe the more satisfying answer is I think whether it's listening, leadership, there's all sorts of different qualities that we, I think we fall into the trap of believing that we either have it or we don't. And they are definitely trainable skills. And for listening, well, I, I think that some of, some of the skills for listening can be cultivated in ways that aren't directly listening. And it's, it starts with that morning routine, right? So for, for listening, there's the ability to well, meditation and being able to attune to my own thoughts and my own needs and my own desires, being able to listen to myself in a way helps me better be able to attune to other people and listen to them. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it gets enough airtime that sleep, nutrition, movement all impact every area of our life. And so that those actually help me to become a better listener because I'm more able to be present and undistracted if I have those things in check in my life. This might sound like an obvious one, but just doing one thing at a time as much as possible helps me be a better listener as well. So that might mean if I'm listening to a podcast to just listen to that podcast, or if I'm going for a walk outside, pay attention to my surroundings and really feel each step of my foot and and try and presence my senses. When I'm eating, it's presence my senses, really allow myself to experience chewing and tasting each bite. And as far as what, what you might, what seems more direct about training myself to be a really good listener, it's a practice like anything else. So if you 
regularly are having one hour calls where you are paying attention to someone and you don't have any distractions, you're, you're naturally going to be a better listener. I think trying not to formulate any question or next sentence until someone is finished talking has been immensely helpful for me where it's natural. And a lot of times when I'm interviewing someone, I will write down a bunch of different thoughts and questions I want to circle back to. But when I'm truly at my best as a listener and an interviewer, it's because I was there with them so much that I wasn't worried about what my next question was going to be. I was just really taking in what they were saying to me. And what happens there is I, I think listening is more of a, a state of being than trying to ask the right question or say the right thing. And I, I have been so conditioned to try and sound smart and have the best question. And, and really when I'm at my best, it's because I'm just there not trying to figure out what I'm going to say next. I, I don't know how satisfying of an answer that was all around. I, I think that the highlights of being the good listener that I am are I'm born that way. I try and not have an agenda for what the person's going to say and really take in the words that they are saying. And I try not to make it about me where I'm, I'm trying to be impressive and it, it happens all the time, right? I, I still am always thinking of the next question or I have all sorts of thoughts, but practices like meditation, breath work, just being present to your life in as many areas as possible are what translates to being able to be present in any given moment and hence what makes a good listener. All right. Well, it was way more fun than I anticipated to talk by myself at a screen for an hour. And I really appreciate the nudges that I got for, for those of you who sent in these questions and for those of you who encouraged me to do the solo episode, you know who you are. I really appreciate you. This was certainly on the edges of my comfort zone. And uh, I, I got a lot of value out of it. This was in a way, it was like a verbal journaling process for me. And because I enjoyed it so much, I'll probably be doing some more of these. So please feel free to continue sending in some questions, uh, any other topics that you would like me to cover. I'll also, in the spirit of vulnerability and in the spirit of challenging my comfort zone, I'm trying to be more intentional about making S. And if you think that this podcast is really valuable, or if you think that really adding a lot of value in your life, I really sincerely ask that you leave a review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening. And please send this around to other people you know, to your friends, to your family members, anyone who you think would benefit from the show. It would really mean a lot to me. I've, I've been thinking about just how much this work matters to me and how much this podcast matters. And I really do think that if this podcast were to reach enough people that I'd be making the impact that I want to make in the world. And I'm, I'm trying not to make it a bad thing that I want to have a little more stardom and uh, notoriety. I want this to reach a lot of people because I really think that what I'm doing is valuable. I really do. And I say that with humility, but I also say it, there, there might be some arrogance there. I don't care. I think the show is really fucking good and I, I want it to reach more people. So if you could either leave a review or pass it along, or ideally do both. That would be incredible. 
And if you think that I'm a good coach, or if you think that by, by way of listening to the show that I probably would be a good coach, I really help people who are in maybe navigating transition in their career or want more intimacy in their relationships, or simply just want to be more connected to the true essence. Like who am I really? And how can I be more of who I am in my life? I'm very, very good at helping people get to their essence. And that would be an amazing way that you can support me and support the show as well is by, by sending people who you think would be good clients my way. So please feel free to reach out. I hope that whenever you are listening, that you have an amazing rest of your day or evening. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show. It really means the world to me. And take good care, sending you lots of love and wishing you an amazing 2023 ahead. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.